Most of these kids these days, they don't even know what a runcible spoon is. I mean, you're in the rocket seat. You know, you're, we're going to the moon in a 1969 Chevy. You're in America. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Julian Charles here of TheMindRenewed.com, coming to you, as usual, from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And welcome to TMR number 199, which is an interview I had recently with the inimitable John McMahon, otherwise known as Johnny Iron, of the uh, equally inimitable online shows Iron Show and Iron Show Live, which you can find, of course, at ironshow.com. That's I-R-O-N show.com. But also at Fringe Radio Network, which TMR has been affiliated to for quite some time now and it's well a strange conversation um highly enjoyable for me anyway <laughs> i very much enjoyed having this conversation he is quite a character let's put it that way uh, as you will you will quickly discover if you don't already know him uh, from the many shows that he's produced over the years um but as i say it is an unusual conversation in which we discuss podcasting etiquette christian belief cream teas Cat surgery, conspiracies, hell, posh accents, waffles, psychic geese, Alistair Crowley, and Claude Debussy's The Girl with the Flaxen Hair from his first set of piano preludes. Quite an array of subjects, I think you will agree. And on one of those subjects, let me just make a note. At a certain point in the conversation, we drifted onto the subject of hell, as I just mentioned. Um, I don't know how we managed to drift onto that, but we did. And I recommended a book by the American philosopher Jonathan Quanvig. I think that's how you say the name, or Quanvig is spelt with a... It's K-V-A-N-V-I-G, which I presume is Quanvig, um, called The Problem of Hell. And I certainly do recommend that book. It's well written, it's easy to follow, which is pretty unusual for something written by an analytic philosopher. Um, it's well argued, I think, on the whole, and very thought-provoking in its analysis. But... But, and this is something that I didn't say in the, in the interview, which I think I should have done, I do in fact remain unpersuaded by his overall proposal, and you'll have to hear the interview to know what that is like. Uh, but do keep this in mind, I think Quanvig, in the end, probably does misinterpret the words of Hebrews 9.27, which of course is, people are appointed to die once and then to face judgment, which seems to teach that death unfortunately marks the point after which there is no fundamental spiritual decision to be made. But as I say, it's a very interesting book and I think worth considering its arguments, even if in the end one decides that it's not quite right. So, having said that, there's also the fact that this interview is kind of a live conversation. And I say kind of because, while in the end it's probably sort of 90% live, if that makes sense. When we were about to record it, John asked me if he could stream the conversation live, and I agreed. Uh, much to his amazement, which you'll hear in the conversation, he's totally amazed that I agreed to that. Um, so it went out live on the Iron Show Live stream, um, but in the event, there was a huge number of problems with the connections. We kept getting cut off and having to reconnect, and cut off and reconnect, and, and uh, Johnny had to fill in 
all of those gaps his end because of course he was putting it out live so in the end I decided that uh, I had to do some editing essentially to make it more listenable so I've removed most of the longer caused by these technical issues but I have kept in some of Johnny's gap filling because frankly I think it's very amusing and I wanted you to have a taste of that great sense of humor so here it is my conversation with John McMahon 90% live I hope you enjoy it Oh yes, we are live. All right. You know, normally I guess somebody would pol- apologize for the delay, but uh, you know what? I'm not sorry. Wait a minute. I feel sorry. I do feel sorry. You guys have had to wait while we get this together, but and I feel really bad. Oh wait, never mind. I just got over it. What's up? What's up? What's up? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, baby. Oh, yeah. So we're waiting for Julian to Skype me here. The Mind Renewed. The Mind Renewed with Julian Charles live. What a concept. Live from the Hobbitshire. Oh, yeah. I need some mind renewed theme music. I need some mind renewed theme music here. It's like just got the Iron Show here. Oh yeah, but you are sort of listening to, whoa, the Iron Show. I dropped something. Live radio, everybody, where you can drop something and recover. Oh, here he is. Oh, I hear the ringy dingy. It's the ringy dingy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're live with Julian Charles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hello, John. Oh, Hello. So nice to talk to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's great to speak oh, to you. You know, my, Wonderful. my family, my family's from England. They're all here now. My mom is. Uh-huh. Right. When you say they're all they're all with you now, do you mean actually with you now yeah, in the studio? They're, 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 are you on the telly with Julian Charles? <laughs> Mum, it's not the telly, Mum. It's the internet radio. Oh, remember when I when Julian Charles found me? I was just a poor Cockney flower girl. What he taught me how to walk and to talk and to dress like a regular lady. He gave me real class, he did. Julian Charles. And Julian Charles, what's this, all this about Julian Charles on the telly? It's not the telly, Dad, it's the internet radio. Oh, well, Grandpa, get Grandpa in here. <laughs> I can't do Grandpa. Can I, <laughs> I, can, can, I, grandpa. can I stop all, all the members of your family there just to put people in the picture as to what's going on? Um, I believe that I'm talking mainly, not exclusively, apparently, but mainly to John, Johnny, Johnny. of the Iron Show and the Iron Show Live, and the owner of the Fringe Radio Network. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Or am I excellent? Excellent. It's so nice to be here with you. 
<laughs> it's great to be speaking to you. And we're going out live, is that right? You've put it on a live feed. Yes, I didn't think you would want to go live. That's usually I'm a live broadcaster. I'm not actually a podcaster. I'm a broadcaster. So, well, my broadcasts end up becoming podcasts, obviously. But right. Yeah. So I, I always ask anybody who I work with, do you want to go live? And most people say no. I was sure that you would say no. <laughs> and when you said yes, I, I was like, what? You go like, I am in. I'm like, no way. So yes, we're I've never, I've never been live before, so I don't think so. Anyway, I'm trying to think back now, over about six years, is it five? No, five years. Um, no, I think this is this is it. This is the only live I've done. Number Maybe one. this is the only live I will ever do. Maybe it'll be such a poor performance. <laughs> I can't possibly do it again. I'll embarrass myself terribly. What you do? What you do? What you do is every time you mis- make a mistake, you just own it. You know, you just own it, and it you make it you make it into something else. It usually ends up working out in your favor. Like I used to miss my buttons on the left with my sound effects, and I and then you know I'd I'd miss a button I'd go, oh I missed my buttons, oh dear, I am such a loser. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Ah. Oh, yeah. So you could talk. You can talk in terms of having buttons there. You see, I've seen your studio in photographs that you've put on Facebook. I mean, your studio is just massive in comparison with what I've got here. I mean, I've just got a laptop in front of me, and I've got. One monitor here to the left, which thankfully isn't flickering anymore. I've been able to replace that monitor. Uh, that's about it. I've got a microphone and a glass of wine, which my wife has very kindly given to me to calm my nerves since we're live. Um, but There's your no- studio is massive, isn't it? There's nothing worse than a flickering monitor. <laughs> so annoying. Yeah, well, I have a big studio because I'm a live performer, so... You have to have a lot of um, you have to have a lot of screens, a lot of monitors, and you have to lot, have a lot of handy buttons to hit with your sound effects because um, you want to have everything in front of you so that you can just focus on your guest. Mostly, I look at the floor, and if I need to check something uh, where most people would be flipping through screens, you know, on their laptop or whatever, I just glance up and see what I need to see, and then look back at the floor. Mm. That's how you host a show. You look at the floor. You look at the floor. These that's, how you, uh, that's how you do Well, you've got Iron Show and Iron Show Live. So everything starts off as Iron Show Live, does it? And then you edit it to be the Iron Show. Is that correct? Sometimes, and sometimes I do that. Um, rarely, though, these days. I like a nice live uh, stream, uh, like a live podcast, a raw version, so that people can hear the mistakes and people can yeah. catch the spontaneity because that's that's the difference between live and edited yes it sounds more polished edited obviously but it doesn't have the excitement of live i mean you're in the rocket (laughs) seat you know you're we're going to the moon in a 1969 chevy you're in america (laughs) how long have you been doing the iron show now uh almost 10 years almost 10 yeah getting yeah i'm one of the Yes, people think I'm one of the founders, but actually, uh, with the four fringe uh, uh, horsemen of the apocalypse were uh, Derek Gilbert, uh, Bruce Collins, Dr. Future, and King Wells of Teo Radio, Teo Tawaki. The end of the world as we know it. Back in the day, back in 2006, 2007, I was listening to those guys. And Dr. Future adopted me. He adopted you? Yes. In yeah. what sense? In 2007, Dr. Future adopted me as the official mascot of Future Quake, Longshoreman Johnny, and talked about me on almost every episode. 
So. Oh wow! That's oh, how that's I think, isn't it? Yeah. That's how I got my start, Doctor Future. He's and Fringe Radio Network is a, a more recent thing, isn't it? You took that over from who did you take that over from? Uh, in the beginning, in 2010, uh, producer Rick Hendrickson, uh, Bruce Collins, got together and they built the Fringe Radio Network. Uh, uh, Rick Hendrickson is the engineer that built Spreaker. And uh, so he's, yeah, he was all-time radio guy, radio producer and radio engineer, studio engineer, recording studio engineer, radio studio engineer. They formed the Fringe Radio Network about, we'll see, it would be about eight years ago. And they asked me, I was the first show, first guy they called, Bruce Collins, the clown prince of doom himself, gets a hold of me. I'm like, what? Bruce is talking to me? And uh, yeah, he goes, he goes, yeah, we just started a network and you're the first one we thought of. And I'm like, wow. When they made me pay, you know, it was like a hundred bucks a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a different matter, isn't it? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for inviting the Mind Renewed to be part of that. I think I've been there about, is it a year? There's something like that. Um, yeah. That's good, good of you to invite me. I wasn't quite sure to start with because I mean, I've been saying to many people, uh, I'm only half fringe. See, so I wasn't quite sure whether I was fringe enough for the Fringe Radio Network, but uh, eventually I decided to just jump in there, and uh, it's been good. There've been uh, you know a lot of lot of extra people listening, which is nice, um, and there've been no negative repercussions. So <laughs> thanks very much. It's a happy, friendly place. Yeah, you know we yeah. don't we don't get we don't have any uh, what do you call them detractors. I've only heard one detractor actually. That motorbike's we, come back again. I like Did the motorbike. That's like America. <laughs> <laughs> it's been annoying me all afternoon actually it's going I, back and forth i like that it makes it better well you're on the fringe radio network with johnny iron on the tmr i mean you got to have the motorbike right yep absolutely yeah fire up that <clears throat> i can't tell i know a lot of i know you know what i know a lot of motorbike jokes and i can't tell a single one live on the air that is one uh, thing you, well, you have to watch it because you'll get a guest live on the air, right? And you don't have a delay. So before you start the show, you have to threaten them. If you get out of line, if you say any cuss words while we're alive, I will fly out there and beat you. You don't think I can well, reach out and touch you, do you? You think you're too far away. I, gotta, I can be there tomorrow morning with a baseball bat. That's what I tell them. So. <laughs> Well, I, I warned you, actually, didn't I? Before we started, well, before we actually connected on Skype, I said, don't say any naughty words. Yeah, well, you know, on, on other people's shows, um, Mama taught me manners. Actually, when I was five, by the time I was five years old, I knew all of Emily Post's table manners to the queen. So Mama taught me to be polite when I need to be. So there. Right. Oh, you know you know etiquette very well, do you? Yes, but on the Iron Show, um, we are the only show that I know, the only Christian show that I know of that allows any cuss word found in the King James Bible. So those are the ah, parameters you have to yeah. stick. You have to stick to those. If you wander off, I will fly out there and beat you with a baseball bat. <laughs> Can I, I check you on your etiquette? If you're very good at etiquette and table manners, then how are you supposed to finish soup? Um, how, um, I, I, There's a special I, way, isn't there? I have forgotten that one, but I do know, ah, I do know how to hold a runcible spoon. And I have to say, I don't know how to hold a runcible spoon. Carefully, I would have thought, but apart from that, I don't know. Yes, care- carefully. But lo- most, most of these kids these days, they don't even know what a runcible spoon is, right? I'm like, hey, yeah. it's a spork. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we call it on the West Coast. Give me that spork. <laughs> so they don't know the owl and the pussycat? No. 
No, they don't oh, even know the owl and the pussycat or A.A. Milne. I mean, what, you know, what's going on with these kids? <laughs> it really is doom, as you say. It's oh. the end of the world, isn't it? People yeah. don't know what a runcible spoon is. Or I'm Christopher impressed. Robin, right? Mm, mm. Yes. What happened to the uh, the abandoned warehouse? You had a show, which was, was it uh, using shows that hadn't actually been broadcast? Uh, shows that have been broadcast but abandoned. Uh, abandoned people, abandoned pets, abandoned podcasts. Welcome to the abandoned warehouse. It's still going. I'm still doing that show, but I only kick them out like once every month or six weeks. I'm trying to document the uh, precious history of alt-Christian media. So I've been playing the old ancient future quake shows. Uh, mostly, but I'm going to move on to Bruce Collins and, of course, Teo Tawaki Radio. Teo, you know, my roots, these shows that influenced me and got me going, you know, in the beginning and have been abandoned. So sad. It's so sad, Julian. <laughs> well, it's a good idea to to revisit those. If there are particular shows that are really worth listening to, again, it's a good idea. They yeah. really are. They really are. Mm. Um mm. They really are. Um, one what? one of them has wandered from the path, Teo. Uh, Teo, he's become a black Israelite, which I just I can't. He was like one of my main heroes, my main influences back in the beginning. You know, when I was first thinking about doing this twelve years ago, and uh, it's interesting. You see the evolution of strange theology. People biting the poison apple here and there. It's alarming. Mm-hmm. It's quite alarming, Julian. Yeah. Well, you are to some extent, aren't you? Because you're looking eastward. You've got this thing called, is it a panda network or something like that? Fringe panda. Fringe fringe panda, yeah. Isn't, doesn't that represent a sort of move eastward? Aren't you going to be influenced by Buddhism and Hinduism with that? Absolutely not. We are expensive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I see what you did with that, Julian. <laughs> I know it was a bit crude, wasn't it? Oh. I do. The thing is, I followed a link. You, you, you were trying. I don't know. You put it on Facebook or something, saying that you have this this uh, new network, and I followed the link, and there was virtually nothing there. Presumably, this is just starting, is it? Yes, we were building it, and we kept tearing it down and building it back up. If you go to fringepanda.com, fringepanda.com, that's fringepanda.com. Now you will see a our uh, eastward migration into the Asian market. To, uh, there are a lot of there are like a lot more Christians in Asia than there are in the West now. It's a huge thing. I mean, um, yeah. most most of them are like Pentecostal flavor or not not Pentecostal but like charismatic flavor. China is just just they're just growing by leaps and bounds. Christianity Absolutely. over there. Yeah, yeah. It's really I neat. Think the thing about it is though that you you sold it by saying you know you're. This is expanding eastward, and we're going to change the world. And I go there, and it's just a single page. It's, <laughs> There's nothing much on there at all. So, and this has been quite some time, actually. Is it developing at all? Uh, no, it's been an idea that we've been kicking around for uh, oh, a couple of months, three, four, five months, maybe six months. Yeah. And it's Michael Basham's deal because uh, Michael Basham, who's like the, one of the big stars on the Fringe Radio Network, he uh, he speaks Chinese and he lives in Taiwan, and so oh, he nice. wants. To, so if you go to FringePanda.com now, you will see a, a, a very long video feed there. FringePanda.com. Are you there now? Are you looking at it? I'm not actually. Well, no, no. Yes, I'm if you went there now, you would see um, yeah. a speaker feed of uh, okay. American and uh, Chinese. It goes, it flips back and forth. If you listen to it, Michael, get on there and he'll be, yes, hello, everybody. 
So what's it? <laughs> Fringepanda.com. I'm using yes. Firefox here, which has really slowed down these days. Um, oh, for, oh, yeah, there you go. Fringe Panda. So there's a nice panda there. Yes. Eating something, eating some bamboo, I presume. Yep. And talking to a microphone. Yep. And Fringe Panda 5. You've got five shows out. Yes, and on the Fringe Red oh, Network I, feed, you'll have to... Back. On our network feed, you'll have to have patience when you listen to it because Michael is flipping back and forth between English and Chinese. So, hello, everybody. I I take it back. I didn't realize that you had substance on there. My my apologies. Yes, I think there's 28 videos and four podcast sessions, maybe five, maybe six. I'd have to look. That's Michael's whole thing because I don't speak Chinese. But all the Chinese writing on there, that's Michael. He does all that. He is an English teacher in Taiwan. Michael Basham of Spirit Wars, the Spirit Wars show. Yeah. Yes, he's an English teacher in Taiwan. He's like, hey, wow. how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what happened to Fringe Radio News? I really loved that show. You did about five or six of them, and then that was it. Yes. He's going to do any more. We are. But, uh, again, my co-host, my co-anchor, Michael Basham, definitely he's been through a lot. He's uh, teaching, like, five different English courses and he's juggling uh, trying to get custody back of his daughter with the Chinese mafia it's getting really dangerous so we're, it's hard to he's been like not available as much but it, we, they will we have we will have more fringe radio network news shows coming out excellent good yeah I really enjoyed that very much I, I think I told you on my Facebook message that uh, I was listening to it at night and I kept my wife awake because I was sniggering so much <laughs> And uh, I really loved it. And then you asked me to do something for it. And then I made yes. that report about scones. Yes. And then you didn't do any more. So I thought that actually it was my scone report that would put you off. Absolutely not. We loved it. <laughs> we loved it. We had to add more to it. Um, we had – well, you did the um, – the, uh, uh, what do you call that? Cream tea, right? Cream tea. That's right. right yeah. we, the difference between a Cornish cream tea and a Devo- Devonian cream tea. Right. Yes. Well, yeah. I asked around. I, I thought it was a very important piece of news, and you didn't even broadcast it. Well, it's because I asked around, um, and here on the West Coast, nobody had ever heard of what cream tea is. Or, and then I asked people in New York City, and they had never heard of it. I asked people in South Africa, they didn't know what was going on. I asked people in South America, they didn't know, they'd never heard of it. So I was going, we were going to get you back on to explain yeah. first what cream tea is. Right. What well, is cream tea? But then you, yeah, a scone isn't even the same thing in the states as it is it's here, a is it? Biscuit. I mean, with, with with no, it's not a biscuit. It's kind of like a cake. A scone is is a biscuit and, here. No, 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 it's a cake, and you have sort of a bit of cream on it, and then a bit of jam on it, and then you put the other bit of the scone on the top, and have it with a cup of tea. But what is cream that's, that's tea? Cream, what is cream? That's cream tea. Uh, that is a cream tea. What's the cream that you put on the? biscuit it has to be clotted clotted cream clotted cream See, really nobody... really thick yeah as fatty as you can get it's gorgeous so I the, did... the big the big contra- controversy or controversy is whether you put the jam on first and then the cream or the cream on first and then the jam that's the big one that's what i was reporting about yes yes yeah and it was mm. it was wonderful but we wanted to get you back to explain first what cream tea is then everybody would get it so mm. that was the like the thing and but things happened you know, yeah, we got sure. we, we we got a lot we got a lot of we got a lot of pancakes on the griddle here. We're flipping them. We're, some of them are burning, falling off the griddle. We got so many things going on. <laughs> oh, there's some bacon. Let's get some bacon there. You need some bacon coffee. waffles as well. You seem to be very keen on those. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I'm not sure whether I like the idea of it or not. Really, it 
it's addictive. Let me tell people, the listeners um, who want to try it, because I like to share recipes a lot. Um, <clears throat> so I was uh, on Easter morning. Uh, I was making waffles, and I snapped a photo to my my old bass player, Lindsay, childhood friend, and he goes, "Hey, why aren't you having bacon? You have to have bacon on Easter." And I'm like. Uh, what if I put, like, put some bacon on the waffles? So raw bacon. I put the waffle batter in. I put three strips of raw bacon and closed the lid and waited. Mm. He's like, man, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm like, I can't wait to see it. Opened up the lid. The bacon was perfectly done. And the bacon grease had soaked into the waffle. I put maple syrup and butter on it. Mm. Uh, that's mm. it, yeah. Dude. yeah. It's the fact that you put the maple syrup on as well. I thought, uh, I'm not sure that's going to go very well. Oh, dude. Well, it was great, was it? Oh, it's like crack cocaine. You can't stop eating it. You can't stop. I don't care. Mother Teresa, the Pope, you're going to like my bacon waffle. I don't care who this you is are. The, this is because you used to be a chef or something, didn't you? Yes. Is, right? I, is this what you used to serve up to people? I was the head chef of a Mexican restaurant when I was a kid, a famous Mexican restaurant on the West Coast, uh, Casa Piñata, the house of piñatas. We had piñatas hanging all over the inside. But I was head chef, and everybody liked it so much because my boss went to Mexico through the poor part on the interior of Mexico and got real recipes from fat old Mexican ladies. So it was really good food. I'm a good cook too. I'm a good snowboarder. A good cook. I can skateboard pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. I can play the piano pretty good. I can play the guitar okay, sort of halfway. <laughs> I'm so multi. <laughs> That's the laugh. That's the laugh. That's what you use on your introduction, isn't it? I love the introduction to your show. You have that. Um, what is it? The uh, that that piece by Debussy. Oh, oh, yes, yes. Hi. And then you have... Is it you? Presumably it's you. Is it speaking in a very soft voice? And then you suddenly cut to you screaming at the top of your voice. Oh, yeah. Hilarious. I've got it. What if I got it right here? What? It's, mm. Oh, no. Oh, great, yeah. Wait a minute. I don't... Hang on. Let me see here. It goes on for ages, but that's brilliant. I mean, it's just so funny. Here you go. Hi. Welcome to... <laughs> All right. It's like that, right? Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not like you do 20 seconds of it. It goes on for, what is it, three or four minutes? Yes. It's amazing. I mean, most most cases, most shows, I'd have thought, you know, you've gone for more than a minute, you're losing your, your audience. But I'm actually loving every second of that because it's just so funny. Thank you. You're welcome. That's so nice. I'm always disappointed when it stops. You should just do that all the way through. Have you ever thought of doing it all the way through Uh, for an hour? Yeah, people have. Uh, yeah, people have suggested that, but I don't know. It's supposed to be like a Christian show, so we have to get to some kind of Christian content here. We got a Bible study coming up here pretty quick, so we better we better back off here. <laughs> We've done a lot of really heavy Bible studies on the Iron Show. I think we're one of the very few who've done that. I brought in some really big genius. I brought in a huge eschatologist that's like respected millions of downloads, Matthew Miller. And we did studies through the book of Judges and, and uh, the book of uh, Esther and the book of Jonah and uh, Isaiah, the chapter 24, things like that. And uh, Rabbi Mike is my co-host. Now, he's a, he's a Messianic rabbi and a, he's actually an ordained Messianic rabbi and a Baptist minister. So he's kind of a Bapticostal rabbi. <laughs> But people are think people think why of those in the world. 
Yeah, people get panicked. They're speaking like, it's Chinese as well. Incredible. You no, know, that's Michael Basham, but yes. Yeah, Rabbi oh, Mike. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I don't think yeah, Rabbi yeah. Mike speaks Chinese. He, he speaks Hebrew, though. That's what really helps in these Bible studies. And Rabbi Mike comes around. He's got the Hebrew word, and he explains the whole thing. It's some pretty deep stuff. As wild as the Aaron Show is, we have the mm. people that listen to it. I thought it would just be all the stoners, you know, and stuff listening to the Aaron Show. That's it's built for people who are on drugs to try to minister to them. <laughs> <laughs> so you start with this absolute craziness, but then you do go on to the substance and get quite deep with it. Yes. Yeah. Well, where, where, I mean, where did that idea come from to go? Yeah, that's such a contrast from one thing and the other. I was, uh, uh, well, I was born in 1962, and so uh-huh. I was raised by a by a, um, a very extremely liberal mother, progressive, who taught me everything about the world by the age of five, including Emily Post, Table Manners to the Queen, and yeah. everything everything bad about the world. She taught me about all that. So I think Your she gave it. me the background. She, I think she split. I think she split my personality. That's what I think what happened. Or it could have happened when I was locked in the dog cage for three days. I know that happens to people. <laughs> I locked myself in a dog cage when I was five and a half. And I was stuck in there for three days because my parents were gone. It was, I think that was... That's, what, that's when I split. I think, I think that's, the, that's where it started. It's just me. Where are, you, where are you actually from, Johnny? I mean, I'm obviously from the States. Whereabouts? I'm from the West Coast. You know, you have the most sophisticated podcast in the whole world, and everybody who is into podcasts has Julian Charles, The Mind Renewed, right at the top of their list. They're all, like, emailing yeah. me. I can't believe you're going to be on The Mind Renewed, man. I'm like, yeah, I am. I am, and actually. But uh, even it's though – I've got this, this uh, British accent. Yes. You call me Mr. Stuffy. That's why you call me Mr. Stuffy, isn't it? Because of my accent. Right, and I have my I have my nasal spray right here. <laughs> okay, I feel better now. Uh, the thing but, is, I'm not I'm not posh, actually. I know a lot of people think I'm, I am, but if you listen to somebody like um, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, politician over here, if you listen to him and then you listen to me, you can tell the difference in a big way. I am not that far back. I'm not that posh. It, it seems it seems that way. You are really the most. I mean, ask anybody who's into podcasts; they will tell you. Julian Charles, the Mind Renewed, is the most sophisticated, high end, <laughs> upper crest podcast in the known universe, right? But even though you're so sophisticated here on the West Coast, I, I like we look down our noses at you. Because, mm, yeah, I've noticed. Yeah, your it, messages on Facebook clearly. Yeah, we, because you're Why? not. Because you don't live on – you're not from the west coast of America. I mean, what? You're out there in the Hobbitshire or whatever. Whatever, you know. What, I mean, we're, we're snowboarding and surfing and what are you guys doing? Do hamster contests and stuff or whatever? What are you talking about? Hamster contests. <laughs> Go to the hamster contest in the Hobbitshire. It's Julian Charles. You might play – I'll try to do my best. <laughs> Oh, you disappeared on me. <laughs> Have you ever played croquet? Oh, no. I lost you. Let's call him back. I'll call you. Thanks. And call him. Oh, yeah. We we lost you. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Ringy dingy. Oh, yes. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, yeah. Hello. Hello, ringy dingy, ringy dingy, 
Hello? <laughs> we, we lost you. We lost you. Julian fell overboard. Get the... Oh! Well, that's pretty good, actually. Well done. We'll have to it cut off... quite convincing. We'll have to cut off that leg. Why? Well, can't you see? It's wet. <laughs> that's <laughs> Throw you off the... Right. You fell off the mutiny. You fell off the bounty. Yes. Yeah. Captain Black. Well, I was, did, did you get my question? Um, I was asking you, have you ever played, played croquet upon the lawn... With cucumber sandwiches during the breaks. I have played croquet on the lawn, absolutely. Grew up playing it with my cousins. Cucumber uh, sandwich, cucumber water. My grandma oh, made no. cucumber uh, water with sugar and lemon in it. Is so it? not cucumber sandwiches where you cut off all the crusts. No, and those... You cut off the rind, also the rind from the cucumber and just put little slices in between. With, of course, a, th- a thin layer of butter. Mmm... <laughs> <laughs> very, very healthy, actually. So you're saying that that is sophisticated, and we are just like barbarians. Abs- absolutely. You know, one thing that really that With really water. one thing that occurred to me <laughs> is that I have an accent and you don't, which doesn't, which boggles my mind, because because you invented English, and I am just speaking it a couple of hundred years later on a different in a different country, on the West Coast. So we must sound like barbarians to you. Not at all. You just sound different. Oh, that's nice. I, I, I have an accent. I have a BBC accent, which I, I have to say I'm not very proud of, considering the BBC these days. But, uh, yeah, uh, that's how I would describe my accent. It BBC. Did... I could be a newsreader. Hello, and welcome to the news. Yes, definitely. It's it... 10 o'clock. Welcome to the news. Absolutely. You're listening to the BBC News. I love the BBC News. I love the BBC News. <laughs> we have BBC you... America here. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's no, I haven't actually. No. Yes, it's one of the channels. Is it peopled by by Brits or Americans? Uh, Brits, Brits in America. We have BBC America Channel, and then they have the BBC American News, and it's British, a British girl and guy in New York. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's cool. I like to love the BBC. With I'm, all the same, the same propaganda, presumably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some say that actually it's not we, – we never got freedom from England. They actually still own us. Have you ever heard that conspiracy theory? I, I, have, I have heard that, yeah. In fact, you, I think you said that to me. Oh, I did? Mm, I think you did, yeah. I, I forget how that works, but through um, something, <laughs> something to do with uh, common law versus uh, versus maritime law and the way things worked out. We never actually won the war, and there's still uh, this marriage between common law and English common law and um, American American common law, and and which is joined by maritime law. Was a mutant form of law oh, okay, where okay. England still actually rules us, and we do their bidding, and then we're like, I have heard of this. But it's not something I've looked into in any great detail. <laughs> I, I might do, I suppose, but I no. Is it is it the Vatican's in charge? Of? I don't know. No, it's just. <laughs> or, it's, is it the Queen who's in charge? Or? Yes, the Queen. Or, or is it the lizard people? I don't know. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the Sleesack. No, you probably don't remember the Sleesack, but. Yes, no. Land of the Lost, American TV in the seventies. Yes, I, I'm a product. How did you? I'm from. Okay, to answer your question, I'm from Portland, oh, yeah. Oregon. That's the state above California. Uh huh. Where everything's yeah. legal. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Including the Iron Show. Including the Iron Show. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How did you get into all this conspiracy stuff? Considering you just mentioned all these uh, 
these key facts about the fact that Britain's in control of America. How did you get into all this, this scene? Um, when I was six years old, my grandpa, John, John Bushnell, the same uh, Bushnell, the binocular company and the gun scope company, that was my, my, his cousin. John Bushnell, my grandpa, sat me on his knee when I was six years old and told me all about the 19 men who secretly rule the planet. That is quite creepy, actually, I have to say. Oh, yeah. He was the original guy, the original guy who was in the, you know, in the 60s. He was into the Illuminati and the, the Rothschilds and, and the, uh, the Federal Reserve and the Bank of England and the whole conspiracy uh-huh. about that. He would tell me all about that stuff when I was a little kid. You know, and how did that affect you? Did that freak you out? Um, no, I want, cause grandpa always believed that if you were smart enough, you could make their system work for you. Interesting, huh? Yeah. And so you believed that when you were six and you weren't therefore freaked by what he was saying. Right. You've got a sense of hope about it, that you could actually control the situation if you understood it. Absolutely. Grandpa would say, you know, Johnny, I'm too old. I don't have enough time, but you're young and you have enough time to figure this out. So, and there are actual ways. I mean, I'm just, I'm 55 years old. I'm just starting to figure out how how to make the evil system work for me. But it's very complicated. You have to know a lot about common law and a lot about maritime law to make it work for you. Actually make it work for you. So not actually to fight it. Yes. The whole system that you exposed to the daylight on the mind renewed, that whole system is engineered to where if you're smart enough and you can figure it out and then you can uh, use the system to your advantage uh, for money and success and power and anything else. Two two, two questions about that. Um, One is, of course, how do you do that? But the other one is, aren't you becoming part of the problem if you do that? Uh, that's a, that's an existential spiritual question that I probably mm-hmm. am not qualified to answer. Yes, on the other hand, but no, on the other hand, right? So if I'm using the devil's money, some of the devil's money to feed the orphans, is that evil, right? Because money is money. It's like St. Paul said, uh, meat is meat, right? So you're just talking about money. Uh, right, a, a yeah. Sy- a system of gaining money and you are... Availing yourself of that and using it for good purposes. Okay, so what, how do you actually do it? Well, you have to know a lot about um, how maritime law and common law intersect uh-huh. and where maritime law is used in, the, in place of common law on dry land. So it's okay. a, you have to learn a lot about that. I mean, it's, this is how you do it. I mean, at least for an American citizen, when they took away the gold in 1933, I believe it was, uh, from the American citizens, they couldn't legally do that without a remedy. So there is a remedy to where you can get that gold back, and it's gained a lot of interest. Every American citizen is very rich from that gold that was taken away in the 30s. And so, what do you uh, mean, just just buying gold and holding no, on to it? No, no. In order to <coughs> in order to take, see, the government took away everybody's gold in the 30s. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Okay. That's not legal. So they had to come up with a remedy. They had to provide a remedy to make it legal. And the remedy is um, your birth certificate. Uh, Your birth certificate um, makes you a corporate entity. And as such, you are entitled and and also not liable. So 
um, you're entitled as a corporate entity to get your to get that gold back that was taken away in the 30s because the whole thing was designed to return the gold at some point with interest and that was divided up among all American citizens born after 1933. Okay, so if, that, if what you're saying is right, and I'm taking what you say at face value because I don't know anything about this, right. then presumably you, you have got the gold or you're in the process of getting your portion of the gold back? Yes, in process. And it's very complicated. Like I said, wow. you have to know a lot about maritime law and common law and where, yeah. and where maritime law is invoked on dry land. <laughs> but, but you you let me know when you get there. I'll be very interested to know how you achieved it when you do, if in yes. fact you do. What happens is when you're born, your Social Security, um, not your Social Security, but your name, your birth certificate is a document of, of a corporation. You're a corporate entity. But this um, corporate entity is held in the Federal Reserve. It's held in trust because when you're born, you're a minor. So you can't get at that account because until you're an adult. Now, you once you become adult, once you turn 18 in America, um, then you have the right to seize control of the trust from the minor. But you have to prove that you're an adult and you have to prove that you uh, are authorized to emancipate that account that's held by a minor. And that's a very, very complicated process. And if you don't do it right, these guys will take you down. Okay. You're a little fish playing, flopping around in their sandbox. Well, they'll let you play if you do it right. But if you don't, they will take you down. <laughs> okay. And they don't. Right. Yeah. So anyway. So. Well, I wish I wish you all the best with that. And I, I look forward to hearing what actually happens when you eventually get to the end of this complicated process that you're, you're going along with. Yes. Can I change the tack here? Because I want to ask you about how you became a Christian. Um, because you had a kind of Christian-ish upbringing, but it wasn't quite normal, was it? Um, what was it that actually brought you to a living faith? Well, in the beginning, you know, we cleaned the church. My dad was always looking for side jobs. He was a school teacher, a math teacher, and he was a longshoreman, also a part-time longshoreman, a white card, and he painted houses and, you know, uh-huh. anything. Well, well, for about four years, when I was starting when I was six, we cleaned the church every Saturday night. So you're, you're a longshoreman, is that right? Yes, I'm a longshoreman. Yes, yeah, that's like um, like a docker, we would say here. Is that right? Um, yeah, we're the guys that yeah. load and unload the ships. Yeah. So I'm not talking about yeah. fish. I'm talking about things like container ships and grain ships and fertilizer ships and anything right. else. Yeah. You know, car big cargo ships. We're the guys yeah. that crawl on the ship and unload it. Or we'll be on the dock. It's, you know, there's 300 jobs. You never know what you're going to get. In the old days, they used to be tough. They would throw huge bags of coffee and things like that. Now we're just technicians. We're yeah, yeah. skilled at, machine, at operating machinery. and Also, I'm so a you're ship's long, longshoreman engineering sort I'm, of thing. I'm also a certified ship's clerk, one of the few that's actually <laughs> certified. I have to be able to use calculus in real life. Okay. I have a good story for that. I got a good story for that. You want to hear my story about... Yes, please. <laughs> it's my Longshore, favorite. Longshoreman calculus. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Yep. Yep, longshoreman calculus. I passed the test, I'm like, a, and I'm one of the few ship's clerks. My class, 2005, 2000, 2004. I climb on the ship, you know, I'm all proud, you know, and... I'm going, you know, I'm going by the uh, the ship's clerk, the checker's code. You know, what do you do? Watch the ship. Watch the ship. 
some of them want, you're the guy who's in charge of loading it to make sure that everything gets loaded right and it's seaworthy, right? Well, these yeah. large, these giant container ships weigh thousands of tons, and you've got different weights going in everywhere. And I climb up on the ship, and the walking boss sees me, and I'm wearing the checkers outfit. He's going, McMahon, you the checker? I said, yeah, boss. He goes, oh, man. He comes around, puts his arm around me. I knew your dad. And I've got this scared look on my face. I'm looking down the ship. We're at the bow. I'm looking down the ship towards the stern. And he finally looks at me. He goes, what? What's on your mind? I said, boss, can these things tip over into the river? He goes, yeah, they can. Why? I said, well. She's got a heck of a list on her, and I'm looking down, and this ship is just tilted, you know, right towards the river. I mean, scary. And he looks, he gets up, the, he looks, he gets down on the deck, and he gets up, he looks down, and he turns to me, and he goes, run. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> oh, that's, that was one of the scariest things. Longshore is super dangerous. That's the closest I ever well, that's not the closest I ever came to dying, but one of the, they would have loaded one more container, it would have rolled into the river and killed all of us, but oh, can you imagine a container ship, you know, a thousand foot container ship just rolling over in the river, what would happen? You got six containers uh, yeah. stacked I'm on to imagine it, yeah. 13 oh, containers wide, six stacked on deck, seven in the hole, can you imagine? Oh, anyway. So. Yeah, sorry, I interrupted you there. You were saying about your dad cleaning the church. Um, so how, how did that story go? So, yeah, I mean, we cleaned the church for four years every Saturday night. And I used to, you know, that was my first exposure to religion, really. And I used to, they had this huge, huge cross. It was a, an Episcopal church, so it was a lot like a Catholic cathedral. And it used to really scare me. That cross used to really scare me. I'd have to dust off the cross. And so I think something happened to me there when I was a kid, dusting off the cross every Saturday night for four years. But um, I became I I pursued music, and by the time I was twenty one, twenty two, I had been in a lot of bands, and uh, I'm the front man, singer. Uh, I played all the instruments, but when I turned twenty, all I wanted to do was rip my shirt off and scream my guts out. I didn't want to play anything; I just wanted to scream, and that's what I did. I was a front man, and because of that, I got into a lot of radical party situations. I was a wild boy, and and um, I ended up at an Aleister Crowley séance in 1984. These guys were really into Aleister Crowley, and they're trying to do a working and everything in there. And I picked up this, I guess it was a demon or a ghost or whatever it was, was whispering in my ear, not telling me to do anything. It was just like, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. And I could feel this thing breathing on my earlobe. And I was scared to death. I was absolutely scared. Absolutely. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me just... Back up on this because a lot of things you've just said there. What do you mean by an Alistair Crowley séance? I mean, this is what did you say in the nineteen eighties? Was it? It was yeah, eighty four. These guys were really heavily into Alistair Crowley, and they wanted to do right. a, a working. A so, working. Yes. So we all got together and went to this abandoned house. It was really a huh? scary, old, creepy house because they thought it looked like Alistair Crowley's mansion, and so yes, and they did like this séance, magic working. Which I didn't know anything about it. I just, I was a singer and I was involved with a lot of wild people, you know, yeah. fell into a lot of bad crowds, you know, not because I was bad, but because I was a singer. Yeah. And I so, liked- what were they doing? They're using, using his writings or something to guide 
the enchanting or something like that. Yeah, they were trying to do a working to invoke something. Right. Yes. Okay. Yes. And they did. You reckon they did? Yeah. It affected you. Yep. I, that's the only thing I can think of because a couple of days later, I had this thing whispering in my ear. It's just like, Johnny, <sighs> Johnny. And now I, I was really scared. I was super. So I went to this guy at work, um, working at the dust factory. And everybody hated him. He was just mean, an old Pentecostal guy named Louie. And everybody just hated him because he's mean. He would, he would say, hey, let me borrow, we'd about be outside having a smoke, right? And he'd, he'd say, hey, let me borrow your lighter. And we'd go, okay, Louie. He'd grab the lighter and he'd burn our fingers. And he's going, that's what it's going to feel like when you're burning in hell. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. What, a, what an evangelism technique. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. <laughs> that was Louie. He was just a ornery. But I knew that those guys, those Pentecostal, guys i didn't know anything about christianity but i knew those pentecostal guys believed in demons so i knew he was pretty much my only hope because when that's happening to you nobody believes you obviously i mean yes. you don't even believe yep. it really absolutely <laughs> but yeah, the conversations i've had on that sort of subject before people have said that yeah, yeah nobody yeah. believes you i mean mm. so but louis did he goes we got to get you into the church we got to get you saved so about a couple days later, I was on an April morning in 1985. There I was in a snake bite, holy roller Pentecostal church. People foaming at the mouth, rolling around on the floor, twitching, speaking in tongues. I had like seven, eight people with their hands on me, speaking, hallelujah, hallelujah, you know, and, uh, leading me through the sinner's prayer, you know. And uh, as I went through the sinner's prayer, when it was over, I stood up. And they took their hands off me, and I looked out and the window, and I saw the world for what it is. I instantly understood what sin was and why I needed Jesus, because before that I had, I had no idea. Because St. Paul said that the, the spiritual you know, truths are nonsense to the unbeliever, they sh- and they should be, because you, you can't, these things are spiritually discerned. And when, as I looked out at that moment, I was not a good man like some people but i my eyes were opened i mean big time it's a total transformation of worldview instantly and then i went through a huge struggle with trying to be a halfway decent christian i'm still not there you know but i i started the iron show i was uh, when i started the iron show it was in uh 2009 but two years before that, I was coming down off a massive dose of speed. And, oops, are you there? Oh, I lost him. Oh. Oh, yeah. We're dialing him back. Oh, yes. We're still live. We lost Julian. We're dialing him back. Julian is unavailable. You know, it's hard to connect to the Hobbitshire. Julian seems to be unavailable. Let's try him again. We are live, everybody. I should play some music. I should get my guitar. The person whom you're trying to reach is currently unavailable. Oh, dear. I should play some music here. Let's see what we got. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. So here we are. Oh, yes. So we're live on The Mind Renewed with Julian Charles, but we lost him. We'll try him again. Bum, bum, bum. Doo, doo, doo. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> I like that. I like, I like that. So anyway... Watch out. That'll, that'll be copyrighted. Watch out. That out. <laughs> so anyway, I was coming down... 2007, mm. I'm coming down on a, off a massive dose... And you know I'm I'm freaking out. I'm like in tears and everything because it's that's like the, one of the worst things in in the human condition you can possibly go through is uh, uh, speed withdrawal. But anyway, I was freaking out and I saw that I was watching the Three Angels Network, which is the Seventh Day Adventist uh, uh, satellite channel. And the guy they had this panel on it too in the morning. I like to watch, and it was just these guys sitting at a desk, you know, talking about stuff, you know. And st- this guy goes, "Hey, have you heard about this new thing?" called podcasting it was 2007 and the guy goes yeah i think i've heard of it and the other guy's yeah isn't that like an apple thing he goes yeah he goes look i was just reading about it yesterday and he goes you know it occurred to me that we need christian podcasters he goes if any of you guys out there knows understands this technology please could you imagine what a need there'll be for christian podcasts and i thought wow yeah, when I come off this dose, I'll put it together. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't need, nobody needed to help me. I mean, I'd been a recording engineer for years. You know, I had one of the first domains on the internet back in the, in the early, mid-90s. Yeah, I'm one of the pioneers of the internet. So nobody had to tell me anything. I just whoop, 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 put it all together, bam. That's, yeah, that was my history. And Really, it was a reach out to reach out to the bad boys and girls. And that was always my goal. Mm. You know, a lot of people, they tell me that, you know, that I seem like I'm coming from the bottom. And I am. That's what I do. That's I work at the bottom. <laughs> Hopefully, when you hit rock bottom, Johnny's down there waiting for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I look forward to that. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. We have a really big following on the streets of London in the shelters. The kids listen to us on their phone. Oh, is that so? That is really interesting. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that is. That is, absolutely. Yeah. And that's exactly what I wanted. That's exactly what I was praying for. So, we're, you know, the Iron Show is a, it's sketchy. We're, I'm sketchy, you know. You attract all sorts, don't you? I mean, you attract those that you've just described there, people who are in terrible situations. But you also attract academics. And yeah, a lot of our listeners you know, are. In the height of life, you know, that sort of thing. Yes, a lot of our listeners are sophisticated professional people, doctors and lawyers and professors. Yeah, yeah. and then we have uh, in India, Pastor Tataputi Simon Peter's been with us since the beginning, and they listen to the Iron Show in the Indian jungle there. They sit around with a laptop and listen to the Iron Show in the Fringe Radio Network. <laughs> Go back to your music. What style would you say that when you were screaming there was that... Was that metal, would you call it, yeah, or punk, mo- or what was it? Melodic metal, real songs, instead of, you know, uh-huh. jams. We would write songs uh-huh. with melody. Was uh, And you were quite successful, were you, for a while? On the West Coast, we were, yeah, we were big on the West Coast of America. Uh-huh. And then it all fell apart, as these things do. And that's when uh-huh. it started, that's when I got on that path that led me to that seance, that led me to the that 
uh, Pentecostal snakebite Pentecostal church on an April morning. Yeah, hold on. When you say snakebite, do you mean they were actually one of these groups that handle snakes? Uh, they didn't, but it, it was everything but. <laughs> okay. Right. Right. I mean, these guys were hardcore. That was my exposure, was the really hardcore uh, spirit-filled, charismatic Christians was my first. And I was there with them for a couple years. That's my roots. But I'm more conservative because then I started listening to J. Vernon McGee, who is very conservative, like one of the best Bible teachers and the most respected in the known universe. And, right, uh, so you wouldn't call yourself a Pentecostal now then? No, I'm, I would be like a Baptocostal Catholic. Oh, so the costal bits in there. So you, you still believe in the the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Then? I do. Yes. Yes. For I'm today, not... I mean that they are for today. Yes. Yes. Mm. Mm. Um, except for maybe possibly the major signs miracles might not apply, but um, definitely you can go like Peter Goodgame. You can go to his healing room and get healed twice a week. He does it on the island in Hawaii twice a week in Oahu. And uh, you can go in there and get healed. Sometimes you don't, but a lot of times you will. I believe all that. But I also believe, you know, in um, once saved, always saved. That's my Baptist side. I'm very. I'm one of those people will tell you that the sinner's prayer is not some kind of magic prayer that saves your soul. I would absolutely disagree with that. So yeah, it absolutely is. That's salvation right there. I would absolutely totally disagree with that point. So, and the, and the Pentecostals don't like that. So I have to be a hybrid. And, and then my Catholic side, because I was confirmed in the Catholic Church when I was uh, 13 to play football. Because they in 7th and 8th grade, uh, you could play full tackle football if you played for a Catholic league. So I got confirmed in the Catholic Church, and some of that stuck with me. And one of them is apostolic succession to the point where the priest has the power to forgive wow. your sins because he is a Christian. So uh, we lost Julian once again, so we will try him again. Oh, yeah. We're going from the west coast of America to the Hobbitshire in England. La la la, la la la, da da da, bum bum bum. I love that. So anyway, so there I yeah, was. Sorry about that. It's the internet. It's the internet <laughs> this end. It just keeps on kicking off. It's really annoying. Oh, you should listen to the live broadcast when you're done. I explain the. I'm a geek. I'm a network geek. So I was explaining the May West backbone, the May East backbone, the Sprint fiber bone known as cable that goes from New Jersey to Greenwich. Across the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. I was explaining that we have to do all that to get you. <laughs> oh, I see. Right. That's what you were doing while we were off air. Yeah. Yeah. I was explaining how May West and May East hooked together via the Sprint backbone in Phoenix and then on to New Jersey. And then the legendary cable, which goes from uh, across the Atlantic Ocean. It's actually a giant cable. It goes right across the ocean floor to, uh-huh. to England. To England. It gets that to England. Yeah. Yes. yes. Where people England. are. England. Where, where you were. Ah, yes, indeed. Because you were taught etiquette and you know how to eat soup properly. Yes, I know how to hold the runcible spoon. Yes. By your mum, no, no, no less. And I also know about, you know, mom taught me about every single type, type of pervert there is. So she, so wanted, she taught you about every single type of pervert? Yes, every t- every single type of twisted thing there is and that people do. By the time I was five, I knew all that. So predators would come at me and I would, you know, I would know exactly what they were doing and how to get away from them. 
which it was dangerous in the late 60s and early 70s on the west coast of America. So in a way, that was a good thing that she did give you that education. But was it not disturbing? It was good. Okay, people it was were capable of doing. I'm sorry, I walked all over you. Say that again. No, no. Was it not disturbing to you so young to hear about what people were capable of doing? Not at all. But the only backlash, the only um, bad side of that was when I was five, I used to have fantasies about whipping the Catwoman because I liked Batman. <laughs> 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 you're right. So you're a Batman fan, are you? Oh yeah, yeah. When I was little, the Batman TV show, Adam West. Oh yes, fantastic. Yeah, 1966 to what 68, I think. I love that movie they made. Yes, more than the TV show. The movie's just fantastic. <laughs> My mom loved that movie. She had it. She used to watch it over and go. Uh, remember when he's trying to get rid of that bomb, and everywhere he turns, like he goes left, and there's this couple having a nice picnic, and he's like, yes. finally runs down to the end of the pier with the bomb, and he looks down, and there's a mama duck with her babies. <laughs> Yes. It's perfect, isn't it? Absolutely perfect. Some days you I just... Ra- I rather en- enjoy the fights that he has, I think, on a ship, and he's holding a cat at the same time, <laughs> looking after looking after the cat while he's doing fisticuffs. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> because he's such a model citizen. It's fantastic. Uh, that's what I... You know, when, when they did the first Batman movie, you know, with Mike Keaton, you know, in, in 88, Adam West came down to the studio and he goes, Hey, why didn't anybody ask me? I believe I've lost you again, Julian. Oh, my dear. Hello? Hello, Julian. That's okay. Okay, so here we are. We're live. <laughs> and uh, all kinds of things are going on. Let's see. We're gonna, oh, let's get a little. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. All right, we are live um, with TMR, The Mind Renewed, with Julian Charles, live from the Hobbitshire in England. In England! Such an honor to be on The Mind Renewed. We're having Skype problems, as you know. The May West backbone hooks to the May East backbone in Phoenix and goes on to New Jersey, where the Sprint backbone cable goes across the floor of the Atlantic Ocean. And tries to connect with Julian Charles in the Hobbitshire in England. In England, Julius, in England. Oops. Oh, and we'll try to get him, but we... Nope, that's a failure. We'll try again. We'll wait. We'll do it. We'll do it. We will get there. We will get it. We will get it back. I'm, remind, I'm, I'm reassuring Julian that we will get it back. We'll get you back, Julian. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We are live with Julian Charles. And we've lost connections, but we have him back, I believe. Julian. Are you there? Are you there, Johnny? Are you there, Julian? Yeah, I'm here. For the moment, anyway. Until I get kicked off again. This is good live radio. I've, I've, do, I've been doing a lot of entertaining spots in the places mm-hmm. I lose you. And, and, the, and the real talent of a host is to take you right back to where we left off. 
which is uh, my Catholic side, I believe, in apostolic succession, to the point where a Christian has the power to forgive sins. Uh, so if you go to a confessional, I believe the priest has the power to forgive your sins. But any Christian could sit in the in that place and forgive you because of John 20. That's my interpretation. I could be wrong. In John 20, Jesus gave the disciples the power on earth to forgive sins. Not because they were God, but because that was one of their powers they were given. Now, that interpretation might be wrong. You have to hold this theology loosely, along with many other theologies. Okay, so you wouldn't say that the priest is actually just saying that which God is doing. You think actually the priest himself has the power to forgive sins right. in the sense of absolution. Right, yes. But any Christian, hmm. but any Christian could, you could do it. I mean, any Christian, any real actual believer... Now, if the conservative approach to John 20, most pastors will tell you, well, all that means is that you have the power to forgive sins that people commit against you. But if you really read that passage, it just doesn't look like that. It looks more like the way I see it. Ultimately, the power is from Jesus. I mean, it's not not some kind of weird, you know, like you're God or anything. But I could be wrong. You have to hold theology loosely, don't you agree? Oh, no, I lost you. I can't believe I lost you. Oh, speak, Julian. Speak. Oh, I love how it does that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. I feel like I'm on the Iron Show. But I'm actually on The Mind Renewed with Julian Charles. What an honor to be on The Mind Renewed with Julian Charles. I mean, seriously, I mean, that's like way at the top of my list for podcasts and stuff. And uh, so we'll try to, we'll just keep trying to reconnect with him out there in the Hobbitshire. <clears throat> Julian Charles, themindrenewed.com. That's themindrenewed.com. It also it goes by the name TMR for The Mind Renewed, abbreviation TMR. And Julian Charles is the, if you ask me, he's the most upper-end, high-echelon, sophisticated podcaster in the known universe, my friends. Uh, everybody who's really into podcasting has Julian Charles in their iPod. People that I hang out with all listen to Julian Charles. So, 11. Are you there? Yes, oh baby, I'm so yeah. there. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Only two minutes last time and we kicked off again. Well, I like it, you know. It's, I, it gives me a chance to be entertaining when we, when we lose it. It's true. You'll have yeah. to listen to You're... this stream when it's done. You you were talking about uh, John 20 there, and so this was what Jesus says here. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the one, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Is that the one? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so the, and the case, you don't agree with the, what I would generally consider to be the, the standard interpretation of that, that that's basically preaching the gospel? Right. I wouldn't agree with it. I would say that, that okay. Jesus gave the believers the power to forgive sins. And I think it's... I but think, not through preaching the gospel. Just by being a Christian, someone needs to confess their sins. Okay. We lost him again. That's so sad. That's okay. We'll, we'll get him back. I'll call him. There we go. Right. At long last. Yes. You sound good. Uh, we were all listening to the birds in your yard. 
<laughs> oh, I see. I love your, yes. I love your birds. They're nice birds. They are actually, aren't they? Do you like the wood pigeons? Yeah, they sound really nice. We don't have birds that, that nice in America. <laughs> we don't have them yet. Birds here in America. They they have uh, an irregular rhythm to their call. Yeah. If you were to notate it, you'd have to notate it in some sort of irrational rhythm, like three, four, five, sixteen, something like that. Right. Or three, eight, five, sixteen. Yeah. Have you ever like thought of writing a song that's a, that's a bird song, but you put it on a guitar or a piano? No, I haven't. No, no. I mean, the, the French composer Olivier Messiaen did that oh, for did a living. He? Really. Yeah, yeah. He went out into the woods with a tape recorder and recorded the uh, bird song and then notated it and put it into his pieces. Oh, uh, we 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 used to uh, go down on the river and smoke pot and listen to the birds and talk about actually making a song based on their calls. I thought I invented that when I was stoned. <laughs> no, 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 it was done by a Catholic Frenchman years before you. Oh, well, there, and an organist. Who was the guy? Who was the guy that looked out at the sunset, and then he put the notes on the skyline, on the mountains, on the window, and then he, he transferred it to you know sheet music and wrote a symphony based on the skyline out the window. I don't know. The only person who I've heard have done something similar like that is a guy called Jeffrey Poole over here who wrote a piece called The Whale, and it's just the outline of a whale, essentially. Oh. And then <clears> you <throat> just put the notes around the whale, and then what does it That's sound right. like? Is it any good? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think I've ever heard it, actually. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh I wish I could say his name. He was like Tavorzenakin smacking or something. Where were we up to? We were. I was asking you about your mum, actually. My mum, yes. Yeah, because she she had this uh, great influence upon you, making you streetwise at a really young age. Yes. And yet she she taught you etiquette. Anything else about your mum? She sounds when, very interesting. Every morning, every morning when I left to go to school when I was a little kid, she would hand me my buttered toast, and she would tell me be polite and don't hurt anybody's feelings, especially old people because they have. A lot more feelings than little kids do. And I said, okay, yeah. mom. So I did. I went to school and I was polite and I tried very not hard not to hurt people's feelings. Mm. I think that's really important to teach a kid because kids do that, you know. And then you grow up into a psychopath who hurts people's <laughs> feelings for a living. <laughs> right? Well, was, she, was she a Christian herself? She was not. No, she was an atheist. Yeah. She, an atheist. Yes. She taught me everything Jesus said on the cross, though. That was really important that I knew that. It was part of my spiritual background because she taught me about all the different religions and what they believe. And so I had a you know religious background, too, by the time I was five or six. She didn't privilege what Jesus said over what other religious teachers said, did she? You know what? No, actually. No, it was kind of taught like equally. Equally. Yeah. But she the, said, the idea was to let you decide for yourself one day kind of thing, was it? Yes, and she always told me if I decided that I was going to follow what Jesus said on the cross, then it would be okay with her, even though she was an atheist. She would be okay with it. But she wasn't okay with it, actually, when it happened. She didn't like it at all <laughs> when I was 22. <laughs> yes. It was that caused me to get kicked out of some family gatherings just for mentioning Jesus, you know. But at the very end, when my mom was dying, and I was the only one 
that had the guts to hold her hand because I was with her for the six-hour death rattles. I don't know if you know what that is. Not really. I, I guess it's the uh, the painful process of going through from one end to the other, but I don't know anything about it. When you finally actually die, it takes about six hours, usually, and what's happening is all your organs are shutting down, and the function that drains your lungs constantly is shuts down, so your lungs slowly fill up. So you get to where you're getting uh, like two quarts of air, one quart of air, one cup of air, and my mom was down to like one teaspoon of air. She was like, (laughs) and and she almost broke my hand. But it was a huge witness to my family because I was the only one that could sit there with her like that. And my dad said, I was, when it was over, my dad said, you're a trooper. He goes, you're like a super soldier in the war zone. How do you do that? I go, I'm a Christian, Dad. That's what we do. You guys make fun of us all the rest of the time. But when, when the metal hits the road, that's where we are. He goes, wow, okay. Right, so you don't regret it from that point of view, but it must have been pretty traumatic. I it ruined it really ruined me. I almost lost my job, and it caused a lot of. It was, I actually my doctor diagnosed me with PTSD, but I would still encourage anybody to do that, especially if you're in a atheist family, because that's your chance to witness. That's your chance to show them what a Christian does. When the rubber meets the road, that's where you find the Christian. Yeah. Right. And did she stay with her atheism right to the end? No. Uh Nope. I found her Bible, and it was open to John, St. John. And and then when she still had enough air to breathe, I was leading her through the sinner's prayer. And so I would hope that Mama went to heaven. uh, But I did release a show uh, recently. Did you see that, the Iron Show? Uh, Live is Mommy in Hell. Have you seen that? No, I haven't actually heard no. There I present the three classical traditional views of hell held by the church over the last two millennia, which are, you know them, uh, the view of eternal torment and the view of annihilation and the view of reconciliation. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to listening to that show. That's the last one you actually put out, was it? Yes. Yeah, I will certainly listen for that. Yes, yeah. I, I got the best teacher I could find, the most respected guy uh, who doesn't actually hold one of the three views? So he presents it in a very, a very uh, sober and and there's no he's not take he's not pushing any one of the views. So he's giving him every one a fair shot. Hmm. You know, he starts out with the eternal torment view, and he gives a case for that. Then he goes to the annihilationist view. He gives a case for that, and then he goes to the Christian reconciliation, Christian universalist view. And, you know, and he goes through the history of all of the views. And it's really interesting mm-hmm. because most of us believe in eternal torment in hell. And we get that from St. Augustine, really, and the Catholic mm. Church. I am undecided about this issue. Uh, this is something that uh, I'm still exploring on and off. Um, I do find it difficult to accept a universalist position. Yes. But annihilationism is something that I think has something going for it. The only problem with that is I do think there's an issue with justice. Um, how to make sense of justice in that scenario. So maybe some sort of mixture of the two. I don't know. It would have to be further research on that, I think. I'm the same way. You say that this guy came with with another position, a fourth position, did you say? No, he just presented the three positions and and the history of them. Because they go all the way back. All three views have been held by the church since the very beginning. He he shows Mm. the four major schools of 
of theology in the very in the first century, second century. You know, we had the church in Rome, the church in Ephesus, the church. You know the other two. I, I forget them. Yeah, was Rome held to eternal torment from the very, very beginning. Ephesus was uh, held to annihilation, and, and the other two were uh, okay. reconciliationists. So these three right. views of hell have been there since the beginning, which is I think is fascinating. Mm-hmm. It is indeed. Um, I spoke to a guy called Dr. Glenn Peoples a couple of years ago, and we weren't talking about this particular issue. We were talking about the moral argument for the existence of God. And anyway, he does. He used to do a podcast. I don't know whether he still runs it, but um, one of the issues he looked at was annihilationism, and he did actually give a very good account of that. I found that very, very interesting. Um, I also read a book by a philosopher, American philosopher, called Jonathan Quanvig. I don't know if you've come across that name. A um, book called The Problem of Hell. Um, he takes a, a rather conservative position on it, but he has a view of hell as being um, a continuation of eschatology, in a way. Um, that post-mortem, there is still a hope for reconciliation with God, that it's still looking towards a goal at the end, even post-mortem. So the idea will be that God is still trying to reach people beyond the grave, but that if people choose not to uh, respond to those attempts by God eternally, then they may continue in that state eternally. Um, you know, there's something to be said for that way of thinking as well, I thought, taking the, the eschatology and the redemptive themes of the gospel into eternity. I thought it was a really interesting way of looking at it. So it doesn't dispense with justice, but it gives that hopefulness and it avoids this sense of God just vindictively, you know, punishing somebody forever because your future is still in your hands post-mortem because God is still trying to reach you and there's still an end in sight, an end of hope, an eschatological end in hope. But it's up to you whether you grasp that possibility that God is still holding out in front of you um i thought that was interesting so i'm sort of somewhere in between those you know i mean even in that book he does discuss the possibility um of annihilation at a certain point in that process and he even talks about the possibility of universal reconciliation as a logical possibility within that that scheme i don't personally think the gospel supports that but uh, yeah, in, very very interesting book. The problem of hell. I do recommend it as a as this kind of you know mind bending exercise. Yes, I, like I agree with you. I'm still I'm like right on your page there. Um, I like annihilationism. I think that has a really good case. I don't know though. I don't know. I don't hold a view, but um, I like the elegance and the logic of Christian reconciliationism. I mean, mm. you know, they start out with God is pretty much fair i mean if you look at the law you know the you know mosaic law and eye and eye for a tooth for a tooth well that doesn't mean that when somebody puts out your eye that you have to put their eye out what it means is if somebody puts your eye out you can't do any more than put their eye out if somebody knocks your eye out you can't kill them so god's sense of fairness that he gives to us doesn't sound like he would support eternal torture. That's kind of an elegant mm. logic there, you know. And there's other, yeah. there's other views. The one, the other view that Peter Goodgame explained to me was that, in the end, God has to conquer evil. Good has to conquer evil. So in the reconciliationist view, they don't believe that yeah. there can be evil somewhere in the universe. Evil people, they have to be gone. <laughs> Or, you know, they have to be right. reconciled. Because God can't oh, oh, win. Oh, that, because that would fit with an annihilationist scenario as well, wouldn't it? That too, yeah. 
do you know, I, I know we're, we're just having a conversation here, but I tend not to think about this kind of stuff very much. I mean, it right. is a an issue which is there to be thought about, which is why I've you know, read the kinds of things that I have. But generally speaking, you know, that's not the essence of the gospel, is it? No. <laughs> no. Our concern is actually to share the good news of Jesus. And in a way, all that other kind of thing is to be left to God. I mean, I'm not saying don't think about it, but it's not something to major upon. Um, right. But, I think yeah. I thought it was important. I presented because a lot of times to the heathen, hell is an offense. Yes. So and yeah, the- I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, it's something that should be looked at and uh, you know taken seriously as an issue. I, I agree with you. It's just that in this conversation, it's sort of becoming a bigger and bigger thing that we're talking about. And Isn't that good? I just want to make it clear that people are listening to the TMR version of this interview. While this is not something that I think about a great deal because it's not a big part of my faith, it's just one of the aspects that is there because of God's justice. But you know, in my daily life, and in, indeed in TMR generally, when it's on Christian matters, it's the love of God, it's the gospel, which is the greatest focus. You know, that's that's how, it's just a matter of emphasis that I'm pointing out there. Um, yes, and switching gears, you know, since we're on TMR, we could we're, you got John here with his wild theology. I believe that Saint John still walks the earth. If I keep him alive, <laughs> if I keep him alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. So rumor went out among the disciples that St. John would not die. But Jesus did not say St. John would not die. Only he said, if I keep him alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. So St. John is still alive. He's going to die. It just hasn't happened yet. You really reckon he's still alive? Absolutely. I really believe that. In fact, I know... The only people I've ever come across who believe that is the Rosicrucians. Oh really? They say, say, yeah, say that St. John is in what they call an ever liver. That's why he's uh, he's not going to to die because he has this special quality of ever livingness. That I wouldn't agree with that. I would agree that I would say that you know what just what the Bible says. It doesn't. Jesus didn't say he wouldn't die. He said, if I keep him alive until I return, what's that to you, right? So mm. he's gonna die. It just hasn't happened yet. That's what I believe. That's yeah, why I've I, never met anybody who I've actually never met anybody who does believe that. So that is interesting. Yeah, really. I met a guy yeah. who I met a guy who wrote a book. He's a pretty big author who believes he met him and hung out with him for a month. <laughs> that is that's really weird. Yeah, really weird. You should read that book. It's so good. <laughs> and when you read that book, it's like it makes you a believer. I mean, I already believe that. I've believed that since the beginning, since I found that passage, you know, when I was in my 20s. I've always believed that St. John was still alive somewhere. But um, when I read that book, you know, about running into the guy, and I talked to the author, and he won't admit that he met St. John, but he constantly hints at him. You know he believes he met him. So, but okay. I believe okay. I believe that's even what, though Jesus didn't actually say that uh, John would still be alive indefinitely until Jesus returned, did he? He didn't he just actually said, what, what? say it. He goes, "What if I do? What do you care?" Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I think that's, that's hardly hardly a justification for thinking that John is alive, is it? I think so because um, the two witnesses, I believe, have to be people that witnessed the cross. You believe that? Why do you believe that? Because that's the only witness, that's the strongest witness, that's the strongest case for a witness, in my opinion. Somebody who was actually standing there at the cross while Jesus was hanging there. That's a real So witness. one of the other witnesses is also from that time? Yes, another witness who was there, standing there mm. at the cross. We have, we have some clues, 
as to who was there. Mary Magdalene was there, right? Okay, yeah. well, Mary Magdalene was uh, Lazarus's sister. And back then, you couldn't leave your sister alone. So my theory is that St. John and Lazarus are the two witnesses for the end times in these end times. Uh, does it say that they need to be the kind of witness who witnessed the resurrection? No. Nope. not just they are, they are witnesses. No, but end. if – right. No, but if you're going to pick the strongest witness, that was that's who it would be. Somebody was, who was there at the cross. That but why be, should they be the strongest witness? Because they, they were just witness. They're just witnesses at, in the end times in that end time scenario. Because you have to bring a witness to the end times who is actually there with Jesus. Why? Because that that makes them qualified. But it doesn't say in the scripture that that's what qualifies them. Right. That's that's right. That's my mm-hmm. logic. So I hold okay. I hold these things loosely. Is Saint John okay. alive? Fair is Saint John still alive? I believe so, but I could be wrong. I could easily be sure, wrong. Sure. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, can it's... I throw something at you, Johnny? Yes. What is psychic geese? I do not know. I've never heard of psychic geese. Are they nice? <laughs> can you pet them? <laughs> can you... I thought there was I just thought there was some con- connection with you and psychic geese. I don't know where I read it. Or um, heard it. I I do. I have goose friends. They're wild Canadian geese that hang out with me. And I have a, a pet crow. Cookie bird. Ah, uh, is that what it is? Have you seen okay. my cookie bird videos? No, I haven't, no. Yeah, I have a pet, a giant, giant crow. He's like the size of an eagle. Cookie bird. He's my boy. Uh, I, I have a couple geese that hang out with me, too, every day. On my lunch. That's and everybody calls everybody calls me the bird whisperer. Because Cookie Bird, he's a wild crow. He sits right on there next to me. and sit right on my arm. and feed him <laughs> cookies. So, anyway... I've got another question for you. Yes. You ready? Yes. Did you perform an, an operation on a cat once? I did. <laughs> I think you did. That was, that was. I believe that was in one of your radio news, your fringe radio news. The fringe radio network news, episode. yes. Yes, Cat will, yes. Cats will scratch themselves and open up their skin, and they'll keep <laughs> scratching till they, they've opened up their skin from neck to tail. And that's what my cat did. It, it was like a foot long, it had, and you could just... Look at the, all his muscles inside there and the veins and everything. <laughs> yeah. And he was getting sick, and we were poor. We were dirt poor, just married. And we didn't have any money, but I had a bottle of gin and fishing line and a two-by-four oh. and a roll of duct tape and a needle. <laughs> so I knew, oh, the, I knew the cat would kill me, you know, kill me if I did it. Well, so I, taped, I duct taped him to a two-by-six. Did it survive? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I stitched him up. It took about two hours. I got the cat really drunk on gin. I force-fed him with a dropper. And I got the cat really drunk on gin. Then I got drunk on gin. And I sewed that cat up with fishing line. It took me about two, two, three hours. That cat was just screaming. Cat skin is really tough. I had to use pliers on the needle to force it through the skin. And that cat was just screaming. And I kept giving it more gin. Finally, it got quiet because it was really drunk. But yeah, and then when it was all over, I took the duct tape off, and it took most of its fur with it. So he was, he <laughs> oh, was all, terrible. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, he started getting really sick because he was infected. So my wife borrowed three hundred bucks from her dad, and took him to the vet. And so the vet looked at it, and he goes, "Oh my God, who sewed up this cat?" 
And my my wife goes, "Oh, my husband, he's a real do-it-yourselfer." And he looks at the cat. He's just <laughs> amazed, you know. He's going, "Wow." He goes, I've never heard of anybody sewing up their own cat. He goes, hey, tell him he did a pretty good job. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) Yes, I'm vet certified. (laughs) That cat, people would think, well, the cat, after all that torture, would be scared to death of me and be gone. Absolutely. But that that cat was glued to me after that. It would not leave my side. (laughs) That cat saw me as its, you know, savior. And uh, that cat lived to old age. It lived to be about 16. Stockholm syndrome with a cat. Terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Oh, dear. Fringe Radio Network News. Is that ever coming back again? Yes, yes. Me and Michael are in plans, and we're going to drag you in. You're our London correspondent. You are London. Yeah, I hope I hope to be there live. I mean, I, I that was my intention originally, and then I couldn't do it, so I had to do that special report on scones. Yes. But I'd love to do it live. Yes, that would be awesome. Well, we will definitely do it. <laughs> well, then we have. I have a lot of other shows, and I'm the Fringe Layer Cake. Have you heard the Layer Cake? No, I haven't actually. No, what's that? It's where it's a complicated process, idea, concept, but we have a conversation, right? And we tape it. And um, it's, this is all live. We do it all live. So I have, the, I have a couple different computers going, hooked in, and we have a conversation like maybe five minutes, and we tape it. And then we play it back while we talk over the conversation about what we were talking about, right? And then <laughs> right. we take that. That's that's There's two tracks. We take that, composite that. Now we have two conversations, a conversation about a conversation, and we have a conversation over that about the two, and we keep laying Airing it until it gets so confusing it sounds like a crowded room and then we smash it into the clown's face and start over the I, i'm having a job to understand how that works actually so do you actually talk over or do you, yes. do you wait for gaps and make a commentary upon what has just been said both both <laughs> both and it so, takes- so there are times when you can't actually hear what's being said at all yeah, well, there's times when there's so many people in the room that it's hard to find a spot. And what what we'll do, though, is we'll find one of those spots, and I'll hit stop. I'll hit pause. And we'll talk about it for a minute and turn the recording back on. And this all just keeps getting layered until it sounds like a whole bunch of people in a crowded room. <laughs> You're such an anarchic figure. It's incredible. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, where do you get all these ideas from? Uh, me and Michael Basham, we just brainstorm. Yeah. You know, guys like you, guys like Michael Basham, you know, guys like Daniel Lovett, um, these guys on the Fringer Network, guys with talent, guys that you can't teach stuff to them. You can't teach them this stuff. Guys like you, you have to be born with it. And that's why I'm they... very conservative though, as you know. I mean, whenever I do something humorous, it tends to be in a, you know, a very definite format that's been done before. I mean, the, the idea of this layer cake, I've never heard of that anywhere. Yes, we thought we, com- we we pride ourselves in breaking new ground. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> the fringe layer cake. And we have a famous Hollywood celebrity that has just started a show and she's going to uh-huh. Terry Copley, who was a big TV star in the 80s, she's on the network now. She hasn't kicked out a show yet, but we've got all mm. kinds of things happening. We've got you. Yeah. Julian Charles, you know, <laughs> when we first... Well, what, what, what's, what, what's the idea with the French Radio Network? I mean, is it just going to expand and expand indefinitely and take over the universe? Is that the idea? That's the idea. That's the idea, Julian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, very ast- <laughs> you're, very, you're a very astute young man. <laughs> but... <laughs> 
<laughs> but you're limiting it to Christian or uh, Christian flavored podcasts, or okay. are they all specifically Christian? The the view, the 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 what do you call the 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 plan of the Fringe Radio Network? Really, mm-hmm. is to have a Fringe Network that has Christians on it among the right. other Fringe subjects. That way, we're fishing in a bigger pond. Because I'm like okay. an right, I'm like an evangelist, right? And you're a preacher. You're an ordained minister, right? I'm not ordained. No, 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 no. no. Oh, you're certified something. You're I'm, I'm certified to preach in the Methodist Church. Yeah, but I'm not ordained. No, I'm not a reverend. No. Oh well, still. So, and that's what you do. I mean, you're a reach out guy. Really, you're stealth mode, but. <laughs> mode, yeah. You know, Julie. Okay, fair enough. The Mind Renewed is is such a sophisticated podcast and well done because number one, they got you. I mean, you can't learn stuff like that. You just got to be born with it. And you're on there uh, tackling subjects like nine eleven truth, you know, and different types of theology. And really, there really are fringe topics, but approached in a very sober and uh, conservative angle. It's just absolutely your show is uh, like the best. No, well, I try, I try my best anyway. Um, but you know, sometimes I do think perhaps my approach is a bit tedious because when when I do my introduction, you know, hello, Julian Charles here with mindrenewed.com, and it's always the same thing. But to some extent, I think people tend to l- like you know a kind of catchphrase. Um, yeah. I, guess that's, I, I do myself, but then sometimes I think perhaps I'm being a bit boring by doing that. Perhaps I should be more anarchic like you and just <laughs> do something wacky. Well, you could, you, and you could get away with it since you're here now. I mean, this is, uh, you've kind of, this is a transition for you, Julian. Yeah, I think you're probably right. <laughs> you're transitioning yes. now, Julian. I'm transitioning. <laughs> yes. This is a transition for you. There's a metamorphosing going on here. Oh, dear, yes. Yeah, well, you know, but everybody that I know, and this is no lie, you know, I'm not trying to blow smoke, you know, everybody that I know who's really into podcasting, you're at the very top of their list. And when we uh, bought... When, you're, you're, you're a great flatterer, but I don't believe you. It's you're absolutely true. No, it's absolutely true. It's absolutely <laughs> yeah. true. And when we bought the Fringer Network in 2016, the first person we wanted was, was you. And I mean, I, I, Brandon goes, hey, have you heard Julian Charles? I was like, oh, of course I've heard Julian Charles. Hasn't everybody? He's like, he goes, we got to get that guy. I said, he goes, he goes, I go, so go get him. He goes, you know him. Aren't you guys friends? I said, yeah, but he's not going to want to join the Fringe Radio Network. He goes, and so, and then Rabbi Mike made the case that you're really Fringe. You just, you're just really sophisticated no, no. Fringe. I'm not Fringe, you yes, see. I'm half Fringe. That's the yes, problem. You're half Fringe. Half yes. Fringe. I mean, yeah. anybody who's cut, dudes, all the 9-11 truth stuff. That's kind of fringe, Julian. Mm, I'm not sure it's that fringe, <laughs> is it? Well, you know what? These days it isn't. I mean, and I like, you so, know. Absolutely. I, I feel like I'm becoming more and more mainstream in the sense that awareness of these issues is, is increasing. And I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not in the business of trying to find strange things to, to talk about. I really am not. It's only things that come my way that concern me that I, that I talk about. So as the mood changes gradually in the culture, I feel that I'm sort of nestling into a more mainstream position. And to be honest, I'm quite happy with that. I'm not trying to, you know, to, to be sensationalist at all. I mean, I'm, I'm sure some people think that I am, but I'm not. I really am not. No, absolutely not. That's what makes you so good. You're covering these strange topics from an extremely conservative and sober view. Right, so you're. Actually, but they're not that strange, are they? I mean, is, you know, nine eleven is that really that strange it, a subject? Uh, I don't think so. Absolutely strange. Come on. Uh, Wait, I don't think so. the Russians well, have. Well, a, 
climate change, um, questioning the the climate science uh, so-called consensus. There's a huge number of people out there who question that. That's not really very fringe at all. Uh, it has becoming these things have become mainstream now, though, haven't they? As that's what we're talking about. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so, so yeah, the fringe has become mainstream. That's me and Michael and Rabbi Mike's vision is that the the fringe radio network will become a mainstream thing. Alex Jones has become almost mainstream these days. Yeah. Yeah, Brandon said, you know, why don't you get Julian? Why don't you get Julian Charles? You guys are friends. I go, yeah. So it, I just want to tell everybody, it it was like pulling teeth out of a bear, but I finally got you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, when I got the mind renewed on the Fringe Network, dude, I was like, I went out like I went, had a steak and I had a barbecue and I was dancing around the trailer park. <laughs> uh, dear, you're a great flatterer, Johnny. Anyway, thank you ever so much for uh, inviting me onto the network. It's uh, nice to nice to be part of something. And uh, thanks for having this conversation today. Um you're quite a character. You're an amazing character. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That's so nice. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. It's been really great hanging out with you, Julian. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, been an to you. it's been an honor, really. It really has. It's, it's been great speaking to you, Johnny. Thank you. We, we come from such different backgrounds and different approach to things, but it's nice to be able to, to you know, to, to get on so well, and also from our Christian perspective as well. We, we share our, you know, our love of, of the Lord, too. It's fantastic. We could disagree all day, but I'm such a fan that it's just such an honor to hang out with you. <laughs> you're a great flatterer. You keep going. It's just it's what true. I want to know. What it's I want to know though true. is when you're going to you're going to start the, uh, the the news channel again because I really do want to be involved in that. There is that sort of Monty Python esque part of my character that wants to be on that. So don't miss me out of that, please. Absolutely, yes. You are. Oh yeah, you're right there in the plans. Uh, so me and Michael are working on. It. For anybody who wants to hear that, that is fringeradionetwork.com/slash/category/slash/news. That's fringeradionetwork.com. Slash category slash news so with an excellent photograph to go with it. <laughs> we have we have we have Bigfoot and and, and <laughs> we we have we have Bigfoot. I literally laughed out loud at that. I really did. It's an excellent choice of heads. Yes, I wanted a I wanted a nineteen seventies style sound and picture. So we have a nineteen seventies style news desk with Bigfoot and Big Head Alien as the anchorman and Bat Boy with the weather. That's wonderful. <laughs> Oh dear! Bad yeah. boy with the weather. Fantastic! <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> oh well, to be the London correspondent for that show would be fantastic. Oh, that are. would be a huge privilege for me. I have to tell you, you are all the way in. You are all the way in, and we can get Bad Boy to do the weather someday. But uh, <laughs> well, I know we can't get rid of him because he's Bruce Collins' nephew. So we have to keep him. <laughs> all right, hey, what, I got a let- just just last question. What yes. head would you give me if you're going to put me on a picture? What would I get? I would have you. Um, well, we t- we actually talked about that. You, you're like you're the queen. <laughs> <laughs> Not the Duke of Edinburgh. Yeah. Okay, the Duke of Edinburgh. <laughs> no, no, stick to the queen. I think I prefer the queen to be honest. <laughs> yeah, we wanted the queen. We wanted a picture of Queen Elizabeth. There. I'm not Wait, a fan of the Duke in a of suit in a suit because I always confuse you with Julia Child. This is going to be 
This is a this is a pip. Chickens is a, if you have more than one chickens, it's a peep. So we'll we'll cut this peep. Oh dear, I've cut my finger. Oh, oh somebody call the ambulance. <laughs> How can you confuse me with that? I never sound like that. Julian Charles, Julia Child. I just keep. <laughs> I keep getting. I just thought I, I didn't know what that reference was. So when you kept on referring to me that way, I thought you were just being rude to me. To be honest, <laughs> no. <laughs> saying that I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a woman, and that you know, I'm like a child. I thought that's what you were saying. <laughs> no, I mean it's Julian Charles, Julia Child. I mean, I, it's a confused. I get confused in my brain. There's a wire that gets crossed. When I think of you, I think of her cutting up chickens and cutting her finger and bleeding all okay. over the counter. <laughs> what a horrendous image. Okay. Oh, yeah. Great to speak to you. Thanks ever so much, Johnny. All right. And hopefully I'll come back again. Oh, I hope so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's we'll been... have to find some deep theological thing to talk about. Can I say a word to your listeners? Do, yeah. Hello. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's so nice to be here with you. Oh. All right. Uh, good night, Julian. And for Fringe, Fringe Radio, um, can I say this? Yes. This. All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> say so, we're on the live air. Say something stupid. Something stupid. There you go. Oh yeah. Yay. <laughs> Where's my music? My, my regards. My regards to all your listeners. All right. All right. Good night, Julian. Good night. Oh yeah!